silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it
seated this morning. I want to welcome you to worship. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, dads in the room, happy Father's Day. I hope you've uh, been treated well today, or at least patted on the back a little bit. Um, hey, Alice, I do want to wish you happy Father's Day. Those of you who are fathers in the room, and if you're a younger dad or an older dad, or your kids are grown and gone, or you have children at home, hey, listen, we want to honor you today. We're going to have a special time of prayer for, uh, for all of us dads in the room uh, right before... Um, uh, the sermon today, so keep that in mind, and would encourage you to be to take part in that and be a part of that. We're going to pray for you specifically. There's so much on the shoulders of fathers, and um, we want to pray for you in particular today. Um, this morning, we want to welcome you, of course, to worship. If you're new with us, we want to thank you for joining us and being a part of our congregation this morning. We want to welcome you back. If you uh, visited last Sunday or if you haven't been in a while, we're thankful that you're a part of Central Baptist here this morning. I'm Pastor Sonny Hathaway, the senior pastor here at our church. Um, hey, listen, family, let me say that to you. Um, if you are church family, we want to welcome you back. I hope your week has gone well. Mine was a busy one. I'll explain that in a little bit. But um, uh, it's good to see you back. And so if you look around the room and you see someone you don't know or you haven't seen in a while, I want you to make sure you go and greet them after the service today if you haven't done so before the service already. Uh, what a great opportunity that we have to welcome, truly welcome people who come uh, who haven't been in a while or who are brand new with us this morning. This morning, in the seat right in front of you, in the seat backs in front of you, there's a little card. And if you're new with us, if you haven't been in a while, you haven't filled that out before, I want to encourage you to take that this morning during the service, fill that out, and uh, drop that in the boxes right before you leave today, right by the doorways. Um, if you have a prayer request, something that you would like on your heart, something going on in your life, we want to encourage you always to fill that out on the back side. We'll make sure we get those. I know we had some last week that were turned in, said are on your hearts. We join you in praying for, okay? Just taking the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to be doing that here coming up in the next song. Let me just say a couple things on the front end. You know, we observe the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. We do that. We don't do it every Sunday, but we do it on a regular basis. Uh, I just want to remind us, for those reserved for, and so if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, we want to encourage you to just observe and watch today, you know, as we as believers take this together. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us in the room that have made Jesus our Savior and our Lord, and uh, this we are reminded that Jesus told us to uh, to regularly come to this table to remember the blood and the body of him that was going to be shed and broken on the cross. And so we want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, to, um, to uh, be a part of this this morning. Uh, we also want to encourage you as well. We remember that this is a, uh, a moment in which we declare the Lord's death. And so we're declaring to those of us who are not Christians, not believers, that this is, uh, that we desire that God desires that you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. We also want to remind you one last time that this is a, a time of, of uh, reflection and thinking about your own heart. If there's anything on your heart, anything in your life that you need to surrender and turn over to the Lord, we want you to do that.
before you take the Lord's Supper this morning, okay? I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand and sing, and as we stand and sing, the men who are going to help serve up in the balcony and down below, you come forward at the conclusion of our time of prayer, and we're going to serve one another, and then at the end of the song, we'll, uh, we'll take the Lord's Supper together, okay? Let's pray. God, we do thank you this morning for the time that we've had to worship you already through song. God, thank you for the start of this Sunday morning, the start of a, of a new day, a new week, a new opportunity that we have to worship you and to serve you. Lord, there is no greater way in which we can start a week than to be together with your people, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, worshiping you. Through our trials and through our victories, Lord, you are here, you are present. We wanna thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, for what you did on the cross and from the grave. God, as we come to this table this morning, Lord, we pray that you would bless it, that you would use it in our lives, to stir us up to pursue righteousness with our life and to pursue you with our hearts. And so we pray for this moment. We pray for this time that, God, it would be a holy moment for us, for our congregation, as we take this together. We love you, Lord. We pray your blessing on today's service. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us and let's sing.
be seated this morning. What I want to encourage you to do was a single pass today, of course, and just take your two cups and lightly squeeze the top cup, and you can pull it right out and separate our cups this morning. We're going to be taking the bread first. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul was addressing a, a challenge or an issue that was taking place in the church in Corinth. And he was reminding them of what he had been reminded of and what he had been received and what he had received. It says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for me, do this in remembrance of me. And so to this morning, uh, we want to remember what took place on that night. And we want to take the, uh, the bread this morning. So I want to encourage you to take your cup with your little bread. And let's remember what Jesus told us to remember. And that is his body that was broken on the cross. Father, we thank you so much. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you showed us. That you were willing to die on the cross for us, even before we loved you, while we were still your enemies. We cannot imagine how much pain you went through, how much suffering you had. Thank you, Father. The Bible says this in the same way. Paul said also he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the juice this morning and let's remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. Come to you in prayer, Lord. We thank you so much for your shedding of your blood on the cross for us. Father, please forgive us of our many sins. I don't know of those sitting here, Father, but I know mine are many, and I just beg your forgiveness, Father. Lord, help us to be servants to others as you were to us and uh, as you are every day for us. God, just use us as your vessel to uh, be the light to others so that they will realize the need for you in their lives and that they accept you as their personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. In light of the Lord's Supper, let's stand and sing and let's declare uh, his truth this morning. My soul will see no turning back. 
Hey, church, you can be seated this morning. That is the reason we've gathered, and that is to worship Him, right? Amen. Uh, listen, I'm not going to give you flowers this morning, dads, but we will pray for you, and that's the greatest thing we can do for you. So if you're a dad in the room, young dad, older dad, grandfather, if you qualify as a father in any form or fashion, stand. We just want to have a word of prayer for you, okay? If you're a dad in the room, look around the room, you see a lot of men standing. And uh, listen, we want to pray for you in particular. We're going to pray God's blessings over us as fathers and as dads. Listen, you know, God puts a tremendous amount of responsibility on fathers to lead our homes, to lead our families, uh, to lead our children, of course. And, um, you know, God doesn't call us to something uh, that he will not enable us to fulfill. And so he doesn't call us to something that we can't do. He knows we can't do it. And so that's why we need a lot of grace. We need a lot of mercy. We make mistakes along the way. But he also promises his wisdom, his instruction, his understanding, his anointing. And so this morning, we want to pray for that on all of our behalfs, okay? I want to just read very quickly in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Some of you are still doing that to this day. Some of you are grandfathers, and maybe you've done that. Maybe you did a good job of that. Maybe you didn't do a good job of that. But from a distance, you can instruct your children, your sons and your daughters, even from a distance, you can pray these things into their life. You can pray righteousness into their life. You can pray that they would follow Jesus Christ if they don't know him as their Savior and their Lord yet. So there is a tremendous amount of uh, opportunity that God gives us as dads. Let's pray for each other. If you're near one of the men around you, you can just turn, just think about that man um, who's near you. You pray for him specifically, okay? And if you know his name, pray for him by name, all right? And so let's pray all these names up to the Lord this morning. God, as we come to you, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning to worship you already. But God, thank you for this time that we ought to have an opportunity to think about the gift and the blessing of fatherhood. We do not understand what it means to be fathers apart from you. For Lord, you are our heavenly father. We just sung to you, sang to you, we sang songs to you, we worshiped you. Because you're a God who is our Father. That's the way in which you defined yourself and revealed yourself to us. You showed us yourself to us. You showed your love, your incredible grace, your mercy. You have demonstrated your holiness, your perfection. You have demonstrated your patience towards us. You, Father, have demonstrated um, your willingness to, Lord, wait on us to come around at times when we make mistakes in our life. You have shown us, Father, what it means to sacrifice. For Lord, you sent your only son into the world to die on the cross for our sins. You showed us what it meant to give up something that was really, really important to you for the sake of loving others. And so, Lord, we remind ourselves this morning that, Father, you are our model for how we are to be dads, how we are to be fathers here on earth. And Lord, we on this side of heaven are not perfect. And we have made mistakes. All of us in this room have. 
Lord, we just thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, how you redeem us through Jesus, how you restore us through Jesus, how you show us how to be fathers that honor and glorify you through Jesus. We thank you for the righteousness, Jesus, you've poured into our life. You give us hope because, God, we have no hope without you. We thank you this morning, Lord, for the promise of wisdom because God, Lord knows, all of us in this room have made poor, poor decisions with our words, with our attitudes, with our actions. We have made poor decisions with our life, but Lord, you promise wisdom when we ask for it. And so we just pray collectively for the men in this room who are fathers, that God, you would pour out your favor upon them that you would pour wisdom and, and, and instruction and knowledge into their lives. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would replace the things that plague them, the strongholds in their life with your Holy Spirit, with you, your presence, your power, that you, Lord, would pour out your power upon these men, upon all of us, Lord, who are fathers in this room. And Lord, would you guide and would you direct these men to raise their children, to instruct their grandchildren to pray and speak into the lives of their grown children, even from a distance, the truth of your word, the things that you've shown us, the things that you are showing us day in and day out as we continue to grow as fathers in this room. So Lord, we just pray for each other and we lift each other up to you. We also pray, Lord, for those in the room, Lord, who've had a bad experience with an earthly father. Lord, we just pray, and I pray specifically for your mercy and your grace on a day like this. Lord, that you would remind us that, Lord, whatever pain or sorrow or difficult seasons that we've gone through on behalf of an earthly father that may have mistreated us or said something or did something to us or abandoned us even, that, Lord, we would remind ourselves that that is the result of sin, but it isn't you. And you are the perfect Father, and you're the one who, Lord, is worthy of following as our Heavenly Father. God, we pray for grace for all of us on a day like this, and that your hand would be with us, and your hand would be upon us. Lord, bless the time that we spend in your word. We just ask God for your hand to guide us and direct us today as we walk through your scriptures, and Lord, would you give us the grace and the courage to say yes to you in the end, in the aftermath of what you teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, man, you can be seated. Well, good morning once again, and I want to encourage you to take a Bible with me and turn to Luke chapter 12, and we are going to be continuing um, our little short series. We're actually going to come to the conclusion of it. How about that? Two weeks, we're looking at healthy hearts. We're looking at how our stuff, our money, our possessions impact and influence our hearts. You see today, we're looking at Luke chapter 12. We're only going to look at three short verses there at the end of a powerful story, at the powerful words that Jesus teaches us about our treasure and our hearts. So we looked last week, of course, at how we can be rich towards God. Great story in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching. And we know the background of what's happening here because Jesus is, of course, teaching both his disciples and the crowds. And the crowds are all gathered around him and they're pushing and they're shoving and so forth. At the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, you see that and you understand the context of what's happening there. It says in verse 1 that, um, I'm looking at chapter 13, chapter 12, in the meantime, so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. He began to say this to his disciples. 
disciples first. So there's the throngs of people, and they're pushing, and they're trying to get to Jesus to talk to him, to ask him a question, all this. We saw last Sunday that as we look at chapter 12, that there was this one man who busts through the crowd. He has five seconds with God. He wants more money. Five seconds with Jesus, he gets the question, and he wants to ask him for more money that his, uh, that his brother would give him some inheritance. And then, of course, we learned out of that that we are to be rich towards God. What's interesting about Jesus and the instructions and the teachings of Jesus, I haven't fully done a study on this, but I came across these in two or three places. And think about this, 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus teaches have to do with money, possessions, stuff. 16 of the 38 little stories that he laid alongside a biblical truth had to do with money. How about that? Think about this. About one in 10 or so, one in 10, one in 11 verses in the Gospels have to do with money, possessions, stuff. Do you think there's a key? Do you think that's important? Do you think that, that Jesus wants us to understand the importance of this? He taught his disciples these things. He taught the crowds these things. Why would he make this so important? Well, because he understood, God understands that there's a connection with our spiritual life and our attitudes and our actions towards our stuff. Listen, we're made to glorify, we're made to worship, we're made to, to glorify and worship God with all of ourselves, with our jobs, with our companies, our small businesses, with our lives, with our time, with our money, with our possessions, with our stuff, all of these things. In fact, it says, look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We don't have it, but that's okay. It says there that whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live our lives, right? We're called to glorify him in everything. And so in every area of my life, in every specific part of my life, I'm to purpose to put that before the Lord and offer it as an offering to God. Whether it's a sermon on the stage or whether it's a song that I sing and I've prepared to sing or whether it's coming to worship or, it's, or, or whatever we do, right? Whatever we Think about our time and every area of our life. I'm called to glorify God. I'm called to worship him in every area of my life. That's what I'm called to do. And so that's, what the, point that Je- that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here in chapter 12 in multiple different places. And so look in verse 22 of chapter 12. We'll lead into the, the, the verses that we're going to read this morning. There is a moment in which Jesus looks at his disciples in verse 22. They're struggling with anxiety. They were struggling with worry. It was going on in their hearts. He's confronting anxiety. And what does anxiety do? Well, anxiety in our hearts and worry in our hearts is going to result in you depending, ultimately depending upon yourself. When we worry so much, and I'm as guilty of it as all of us, right? When we worry, when we have anxiety in our hearts at times in our life, then what we've done is we've taken our eyes and our focus off of God, who is the giver of all things, and we've placed it on ourselves. We've put the burden on our minds, on our hearts, to somehow come up with a solution, and therefore, we've grown very independent from God, not dependent upon the Lord. We grow anxious, and we grow worrisome. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing. So there was an issue here, and Jesus is addressing this with his disciples, that, that there was anxiety, there is worry that we see in the world that we are all at times guilty of. They were struggling with anxiety that led to little faith. And look down at verse 28, what he says, but if God so clothes the grass, 
which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And this is where he addresses the issue. The heart of the issue in the story is this. Oh, you of what? Little faith. He's addressing the human heart. Because faith is not something that I show in my faiths. It's not something that I have in my hands. It's something that is in my heart that leads to the actions of my life, that leads to, you know, the way in which I think, the decisions that I make, the attitude in which I develop in my heart. It's a sense of which I have come to a place of faith in my life. And that is what Jesus is addressing. Now, we're struggling with this issue of faith. So what does Jesus say? What's the remedy to all of this? It's to worship God with our things, worship God with our money, worship God with our possessions, worship God with our stuff. Because when you and I worship the the Lord with these things, when we worship the Lord with my possessions, I'm not going to worry about the things that I don't have here on earth. I'm going to pursue the things that God wants me to have, the things that I'm going to be investing in, the things that are kingdom-minded, things that are, that's where my treasure is, right? God gives us money, he gives me possessions, he gives me stuff in order as tools, in order to worship him. The question is how? How do I worship Jesus Christ with my things? How do I worship Jesus Christ with my stuff? And that's what the end of this story is all about. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 32. Three very short verses. Jesus says this to sum up his story or his instruction about anxiety to his disciples. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Very similar to all the way back in verse 21, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Very similar teaching that Jesus is teaching here that he's trying to drill into the lives of his disciples. Jesus looks at his disciples. He addresses anxiety, addresses worry, addresses all of these things, and he calls them, listen, to live differently, and we are called to live differently as followers of Jesus Christ. In every area, if every walk of life, we're called to live differently. We're called to think differently. We're called to think about our possessions differently than the world. We're called to think about our money differently than the rest of the world. We're called to think about our stuff different and differently than the way the world looks at it. And here's what Jesus says. If you want to worship the Lord with your money, if you want to worship the Lord with your possessions, then first and foremost, live fearlessly. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, live without fear. Live fearlessly, not fearfully. Look what he says in verse 32. And again, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure that he, that to give you the kingdom of God, or give you the kingdom. Not supposed to be afraid. Not supposed to be afraid of not having enough money or not having enough stuff and not having enough possessions. I'm to live fearlessly. Notice what he says and how he, dis- he instructs them. He calls them little flock. Why does he call them that? Well, think about this. Sheep are helpless. 
Sheep uh, are, are weak and we, they face danger in every respect. They lack protection. They need someone to shepherd them. They need someone to protect them. And that is the relation between the disciples and the, how they were in relation to God. It is how we are in relation to God. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, right, or he says it to us in John, he says, I am the good shepherd. He is the one who provides for us. He is the one who protects us, right? The tendency of our lives is to be worried. The tendency of our lives is to be fearful. And Jesus says, fear not. Don't be fearful. Don't live fearfully. Don't live as though you don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. But there is this relationship, this picture that Jesus is painting for his disciples towards God. It is the picture that Jesus paints for us in our relationship towards God. We are his flock. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. And there's a reason why. Why does he say this? Well, he says this because, listen, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your what? Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to do good things. God actually has a lot of pleasure, and he enjoys giving good things to his children. This is what he does for us. He blesses us. He provides for our needs. Some of us, he gives us small amounts. Some of us, he gives us a large amount. But he blesses us. He loves giving good things to his children. It pleased the Father to bring Jesus into the world. It pleased God, the Father, to provide his son to his children. When Jesus is given to us, as our heavenly Father gives to Jesus to us, he didn't give it to us because him to us because we earned it and because we deserved it. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Why did the Father give his Son to you and I in spite of the fact that we did not earn it and we did not deserve it? Why? Because God, so what? Loves the world. He loves you and he loves me. God loves to give good things to his children. It is a, he is a loving Father towards us. And listen to me this morning, we are the objects of his pleasure and goodwill. We are the objects of what he and how he delights in us. He delights in giving good things to us. I mean, dad's in the room on, on a Father's Day. When your children come up to you or when your grandchildren come up to you, do you and ask you for something? Do you just say no when they, you know that they need it? Just out of the meanness of your heart? No, you don't do that. You give good things to your children. You give good things to your grandchildren. And what the Heavenly Father does towards us is He gives us good things. He wants to provide for our needs. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us good things. Children, those of you who receive things, just as all of us were children at one time, if you're a student in your household <clears throat> or your children at home, when your parents give you something, okay, when they give you something, is it because you earned it? Is it because you deserved it? When mom makes a meal or dad makes a meal and puts it on the table for you at night, was it because you earned it that day? No, because they know you need it and they want to do that because they love you. You see, this is what our Heavenly Father does towards us, and this is what Jesus is trying to drill into the lives and the minds of the disciples. It's what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. That the remedy for fear is discovering, is discovering this about the Father. The remedy for fear in my life and in your life is to discover that God is a God who gives good things to his children, and therefore we replaced fear with what? Trust. We replace fear with trust. 
And therefore it says in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, 5, and 6, it reminds us this. There it is. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Look at this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He says, in all of your ways acknowledge him. And he will do what? Make straight your paths. He reminds us in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says this. Listen to this verse. You keep him in perfect peace who what? Whose mind is stayed on you because what? He trusts in you. When you trust in the Lord, when your mind is on the Lord, when your mind is on him, the God who gives us all things to his children, then it leads us to a place of trust. It leads us to a place of rest. It leads us to a place of peace. If you want to worship God with your money, if you want to worship God with your possessions, you would begin with living fearlessly. I love what it says. Someone I came across said this. Not, it's not being afraid. Not being afraid shows your, you treasure God as your shepherd and as your father. We're not just his flock. Y'all, we're his children. We're his children. And the Lord knows our needs. Look back at verse 30 of what it says. Jesus says to his disciples, for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your Father knows that you need them. Then the rest of the world's pursuing. It's running after stuff, accumulating stuff. It's running and trying to gather things up. But our Father knows what we need. He knows what we need in our lives. And our Father really cares about you. He knows your needs. Therefore, we treasure the Lord first. And trust demonstrates that. That when you trust the Lord you're putting him first. So watch what Jesus says here to his disciples. He says, live fearlessly, but second of all, he says, to live generously. Look at verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a, with, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He says, sell your possessions. Now think about this with me. When, when you trust God, you have an understanding, you have or you don't have an understanding that everything comes from one source. When you trust God, you understand that all things are coming from him. And what it does for Jesus Christ here in verse 33 is it leads him and it leads him to tell his disciples live generously with what God has already given you. What he doesn't say is give everything away. He doesn't say sell everything. He doesn't tell the Christian. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, hey, I want you to get all of your stuff together and go have a big garage sale and sell everything you own. That's not what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. In fact, the, Jesus, the disciples didn't have much to begin with. So he's not telling them to go give, you know, have this big garage sale and get and sell everything. But what he does say to his disciples is this. He does say that we're not to be attached to the things of this world to understand that we are to serve the kingdom of God, therefore be generous. Live generously with your life. We see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, what you begin to pursue in your life changes. What begin, you begin to run after in your life changes. 
The world's going to say, hey, let's gather up, let's go get it. The world's going to say, that's my money, that's my land, that's my house, this is my, you know, uh, beach house, or this is my possession over here, this is my stuff, this is my time, this is my, 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 my. That's what the world says. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you have this perspective shift and change, and you begin to realize that everything you have belongs to the Lord. Everything you do is stewardship. The breath you breathe, the heart that's beating in your chest, the time that you have, the church that we're sitting in, the house that you're going to go home to, the car, the truck that's sitting out in the parking lot is all the Lord's. He gave it to you. And in a moment, he can take it away. In a moment. And I understand that what God has given me, whether it's small in my mind or it's big in the minds of some, is all to be stewarded well. God's given me these things in order to be generous with in order to live with generosity, and my perspective begins to, to change. The world says, keep accumulating stuff. What Jesus says is, take up your cross and what? Follow me. It says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to what? Forfeit his soul. Jesus is going to say these phrases when it comes to following him. And when I pursue first in my life, or what would be pursuing first in my life, is going to, uh, pursuing the Lord first in my life is going to change how I look at other things in my life as well. I can pursue my interests. I can pursue my accolades. I can pursue my platform. I can pursue my stuff and more stuff and more recognition. But when Jesus Christ changes my life and I begin to put him first, that all changes. Because ultimately what I begin to do with my life is I begin to follow him down the road of where he wants me to go. What does Jesus say? Live generously. How? How do I live generously? We have a heart that is willing to give. And while you do that, and when you do that, you'll have money bags, the, the verse says, that will never, ever go away. And your treasure will have a far-reaching impact. When you give and when you're generous with the things that you, God has given you, when you have possessions and you pass those possessions on and you give towards the things that are investing in kingdom things, then you're investing in things that have a far-reaching impact. You see, you and I can live our lives on this earth and we can accumulate things, we can accumulate a great name and that can maybe be passed on to another generation or another generation, but 500 years from now, will they remember you? Will they remember the things that you accumulated here on earth? No. But the man who comes up to you in heaven and looks at you, a man who you may have never met, a couple that you may have never met, a young boy or a teenager that, that comes up to you that you may have never met but came to faith in Jesus Christ simply because and, and by way of your giving faithfully to the Lord and being generous, comes up to you and says, thank you for being generous. Your gift led to someone giving a gospel presentation to me or investing in a ministry that impacted my life in some substantial way and my life has been changed. My marriage has been changed because of the faithfulness that you were, because of your generosity. You see, God wants us to be generous. He wants us to live in that way. God gives us, we, says that we have two treasures in this life. One is going to fade away and one is going to last. Therefore, worship God with our money. And then he says, finally, listen, Jesus is addressing anxiety and worry, and he's saying, this is how you worship me. This is how you worship God with the stuff that he gives to us. Look at verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're to live for eternity, y'all. I mean, this is how we live our lives. This is how we think about our own lives. God wants the Christian to live for eternity, 
This is the basic approach to the Christian life. This is not for the non-Christian. If I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not pursuing this. I'm not living for eternity. I'm living for today. I'm living for tomorrow. I'm living for retirement. I'm living for the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however many years God gives me here on earth. But with the, for the Christian, we are living for eternity. We're not living for this world. We're living beyond this world for eternity. We're investing in gospel things. We're investing in gospel-focused ministry that's going to have a far-reaching impact and a far-reaching effect here locally and globally. This is what God wants in our own hearts. You see, the, the non-Christian is the philanthropist in the sense that he lives for the here and the now. The Christian is the one who lives for eternity, for the years to come, for the future generations, long after I'm gone. You see, that is what God calls me to. God calls me here for that purpose. That's a complete and a radical shift when I give my life to Jesus Christ. And this is what the principle that Jesus is teaching. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You look for the treasure, that's where you're going to find your heart. If it's on other things, if it's on temporary things, then that's where your heart is. If it's on eternal things, that's where your heart is. If it's on God himself and pursuing him, that's where your heart's going to be. If it's on you and the things that you can accumulate here on earth, that's where your heart is going to be. You see, there are two tests in our life when we think about it that demonstrate whether we're living for eternity or not. It's our hearts and, of course, our bank accounts. You think about it. And this is what Jesus is going to teach time and time again. It's not just here. It's multiple places in the New Testament. Just read your Bibles. You see, in our hearts, it's going to tell us whether we're anxious and we're worried. Our bank accounts are going to tell us if we're generous. It's going to tell us where our generosity lasts and falls. Both tell you where your treasure is. Both reveal where and what priority is in your heart towards him. And so Jesus says, live for eternity. Invest in the things that matter for eternity that will never, ever fade away. Which leads to this question, how do I do this? Let me think about this. How do I live eternally or for eternity? How do I love the Lord with my money? Well, let me say something to us this morning about tithing, okay? Because we mention it every Sunday in the service, at the end of the service. We give our tithes and our offerings, but let me just share what the Bible says about that, okay? You see, this is where the tithe comes in. This is what God uses in my life to help me to understand how to live fearlessly, generously, and for eternity. Well, what is the tithe? It's a Hebrew word. It just means tenth. One-tenth, that's all tithe means. I think about what the Bible says about this. Tithing is one of the tools, one of the tools. It's not the only tool, but it's one of the tools that God used with his people in the Old Testament. So think about with me to the Old Testament. It's a way that God used in the lives of the Israelites and God's people to express that all money belonged to the Lord. In fact, in Psalm 24, verse 1, do we have that? Pop that up there for us this morning. Look at this. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. What a powerful verse for us to understand. To understand this, understand this perspective that everything belonged to the Lord. But listen to this. Because in the book of Leviticus, this was what the Bible said about the tithe. Stay with me now. What the Bible said about the tithe in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 was this. 
that every tithe of the land, whether it is the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. This is what God said to his people in Israel. And so the tithe was a tenth. It was the minimal standard that God required of the Jew. Why? Why did he require that of the Jew? Did God need the grain? I mean, God's the one from the beginning to the end of the process. He provided the grain to be planted in the ground. He does the germination process. He brings about the fruit. He makes the rain fall from from the sky to the ground. He causes it to, to produce more fruit. And then that is then planted and then produces more and more and more. Did God need the grain? Did God need the gold, the silver? Did he need the money? Of course not. God's the one who brought us into the world. It's who brought the Israelites into the world. So why would God require in the Old Testament the tithe? Well, he did so for the people of God and their hearts. And listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. Moses is commanding his people to tithe here. And this is what it says. Look, at it's on your screen. And before the Lord your God, in the place that you will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may what? Learn to do what? Fear the Lord your God always. Why did God make the Israelites tithe? Why did he make them do it in the, in the Old Testament law? Because he wanted them to remember that they were to learn the discipline of fearing the Lord and always following the Lord with their own hearts. Because he knew how we are wired. We are wired to want to start drifting into ourselves and start spending of ourselves and growing very independent from God and not dependent on the Lord whatsoever. And so in the Old Testament, God used the tithe as a tool to change the hearts of God's people, to cause them and to lead them to be more and more dependent upon him. So what changes in the New Testament? What changes when Jesus comes? Well, we don't see a whole lot of tithing mentioned in the New Testament. You can read your Bibles. But Jesus does come to fulfill the law. Well, what happens in the New Testament? It's not that Jesus Christ does away with tithing. But listen to this. In the Old Testament, the Jews are required to give. In the New Testament, we get to give. Why do you serve in the nursery? Because we require you to do it? Why did you hand out bulletins at the doors this morning? Because someone made you do that? Why do you come to church? Why do you connect and make yourself a part of a local church? Because someone is threatening you? No, because we get to. Why do you read your Bibles? Because God is making you do it? No. Because y'all listen, on this side of Jesus, we live in light of the grace and the mercy of God. He's given us all things. And therefore we get to carry out the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. We get to pursue him. We get to go on mission for him. We get to read our Bibles. We, we get to, and we have complete access to him now. We get to serve him in the local church. We get to do these things. We get to and allow ourselves to give. Because we get to invest in eternal things that have an eternal impact. We get to do this. And therefore, it is what stirs us up it's what empowers us. It, it is what gives us more excitement and joy when we invest in kingdom things that are having an imper- eternal impact both here and eternally in the lives of other people. 
why would God require less from you and I than he did the Jew? Because we see in the New Testament that it wasn't the tithe that people gave. In fact, there were many examples of people in the New Testament giving more than their tithe. Think of Zacchaeus. I mean, think of multiple examples in the New Testament of people giving even more than 10% of what they owe. There are all kinds of questions out there, I know. Should I tithe? Well, maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Maybe the question isn't, should I tithe, but how much of God's trust fund should I spend on myself? Now, there's a question. Because you understand that everything God gives you belongs to him. The question is not, how much should I give, but how much do I get to keep for myself? The question is not, can I afford to tithe, but can I justify the lifestyle that consumes 90% of all that God has given me? You see, when we understand, we understand they flip these questions on their head. These are questions that we began in early on in our marriage when we first started in our marriage. Tithing's a tool. Tithing leads us to a place of not for God's benefit, but for your benefit, and it's for my benefit. It teaches us to sacrifice a portion of what God's given us and given me in order to train my heart to not love stuff more than him, to train me to get to a place where I begin to depend upon him for my next meal, for my next whatever. I begin to train my heart not to depend upon myself, but depend upon him with my life. And therefore, God brings this tool into my life. He brings it to bear into my life, which comes all the way back to the cross. Because understand that when we understand what Jesus is doing here and what he's teaching here and how he's teaching his people in the New Testament not to have anxiety and not to have worry, but to worship the Lord with their money, it's living by the gospel. It's worshiping the Lord with my money. It builds up treasure in heaven. It builds up treasure and vests in eternal things. This past week, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention. Messengers, some 12,000 church members and ministry leaders from across the country in this massive room in New Orleans, voting on different things, hearing reports of different agencies and coming to the floor with all kinds of motions and voting on important things and important matters that relate to the Southern Baptist Convention. But one of the beautiful things, and I'm going to give more of a report tonight if you come to our members meeting, but one of the beautiful things that we talked about and you hear these reports of our mission agency heads share statistics and things. Did you know that, that there are 3,300 chaplains across the world both in the military and among police forces across the country that you support just by giving faithfully on a Sunday morning? Consider this, Officer Ivy. Officer Ivy gave a testimony on Monday, or Tuesday morning. He is a chaplain with the Metro Police Department in Nashville, Tennessee. Do you know the significance of Officer Ivy? He was the first responder who responded to the school shooting there in Tennessee. He was the one who ministered to all of the police officers. He is the one who went and notified every family of the death of their children and their loved ones. 
And when he was doing that, he had an opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ, those families to Christ. He had an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with families and with incredibly grieving police officers who had to clean that up. You see, that's the kind of thing that we invest in when we give on a Sunday morning. It's through our cooperative program giving and our investing as we invest in chaplains around the world. Did you know that in the, since 2010, there have been almost 10,000 churches planted across North America, and Canada and the United States, 10,000 church plants, all because we collectively gave faithfully, even here at Central, pulled and in conjunction with some 50,000 churches across our country. It's amazing. And there's so much more that's happening around the world and here in the States. God is at work when we give faithfully to him, both locally and globally. We get to invest in local ministries here in Livingston. We get to invest in the local church and what God is doing here week in and week out, month in and month out, season after season here at Central Baptist Church. We get to invest in that kind of local ministry, but also invest in, in global ministry. And so we tithe, and then we give offerings unabove our tithe at times towards kingdom causes. You see, you and I are called to worship with our stuff, worship with our money, worship with our possessions. So we don't have fear, we trust. We live generously and we give. We live eternal, investing in God's work. So in 1998, yeah, I know, 98, Christina and I are married, 25 years this fall. And when we were married, we began to set up house, right? We put together a budget, and from the very beginning, we had been taught and we had been drilled into our life that we were to tithe, we were to sometimes give over and above our tithe. We began to tithe in that moment. I both, we'd both gone to college. I worked a three-month little stint in an engineering company, and then we moved to seminary, where I worked three part-time jobs. Christina worked a part-time job. And we laugh because we look back on our budgets back then at times. We think about our budgeting back then, and we would look at this notebook piece of notebook paper because, you know, all we made you could put on a piece of notebook paper. And we would look at our expenses, and we would look at our needs, and we would look at what was coming in, and it never matched up. But we were committed to give our tithe to the Lord because he's the one who was sustaining us. He's the one who was providing for us. And so I was working one job, two jobs, three jobs at one season in our, in our time there. Christina was working a part-time job. And whatever money we had come in that would come in, there were difficult days, difficult seasons. People would sometimes send us money. I'm going to school full-time, getting a theology degree and doing all of this work. And we were serving in a local church. We had joined a local church. We were serving that local church faithfully. And guess what happens? Not only are we tithing at this local church, but the pastor gets up on a Sunday morning and we launch into this capital campaign. You know what a capital campaign is, right? They want you to give over and above your tithe. We're sitting out there and we're members of this church and we're serving and I'm teaching a class and we're both involved in different aspects of the church and we're learning how to be good church members. And the Lord just spoke to us and laid on our hearts to give over and above the tithe to the capital campaign. And guess what? We weren't getting a building out of it. The church was way in debt. 
They'd already built out everything they were going to build. And this was simply debt reduction. It was simply to pay the debt off. And at the end of it, you were just going to get a, praise God, we're done. But there's nothing to show for it. We weren't there when they went into debt. We weren't there when, you know, when they built those buildings. We weren't there during the capital campaign with all the videos and the pictures, a beautiful worship center and the beautiful this and the beautiful that. We showed up with the big number on the screen. God spoke to us and laid on our hearts to give, and so we gave. We gave over and above our tithes, and we learned to live within our means. We learned to trust in the Lord. We learned to follow him faithfully in that season, and we would never, ever trade it for a million years, a million years. God used that to challenge us. God used that to cause us to think differently about our possessions, differently about our money, differently about our stuff. And it trained our hearts in every way. The Bible says, from the heart flow the issues of life. Listen, God doesn't want your money in this. He wants your heart in this. That's what he wants. This isn't about him getting more money out of you or the church getting more money out of you. This is about your heart. And that's what God wants from your life. To understand the heart is to understand that it is where the soul is. In the heart flow the issues of life, right? Begins with where you stand with Jesus Christ in your life. That's where it begins. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? That's where this begins. It doesn't begin with your checkbook. It doesn't begin with your online giving. It begins with where you stand in your relation to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he's perfect, holy in every way. The Bible says that God has no sin or error in him. It also says that God, because he is without sin, cannot have sin standing in his presence. The Bible also says about you and I that we're sinners, that we're broken people. We think in a broken way. We live in a broken way. We live sinfully. The problem in our lives is that sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Therefore, no matter what you do, no matter how much money you give, that does not earn you a place in heaven. God knows that. That's why he came to rescue you and I. That's why Jesus Christ came. To do for you what you could never do for yourself. To do for me what I could never do for myself. That's why we come to this table. Because we remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And therefore, what God wants out of your heart, what he wants out of your life, is for your heart to be fully and completely devoted to him. And so the solution in our lives is Jesus Christ, ultimately. And what he wants out of your life is a response. And that response is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to invite our worship team up here. They're going to lead us in a song here at the end. You know, as we think about our lives, what God wants for you and what he wants from me is our hearts. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, maybe God is speaking to you just simply about starting to tithe or starting to give faithfully again. Maybe he wants you to give faithfully. Listen, God wants you to trust him in this. He wants you to have a healthy heart of trusting him. And if you'll trust him, he always provides your needs. He already knows what those are, right? We've already seen that. If you're here this morning and you want to join our church or if you want to be baptized, if you want to talk to someone or 
about any issue in your life, just need prayer over a particular matter. Listen, that's what this time is for, a time of response. But if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'll be here at the front as well for those decisions, but also for this. If you want to give your life to him, then you have the courage to come down here and tell me. And we'll start that conversation. I want to pray for you this morning, and then we're going to stand and sing, and we're going to respond to him. Father, thank you this morning for the time that we've had to take of your supper. Thank you for the time that we've had to sing and worship you, to pray, but also to hear from your, your word. And God, we just pray that we would have healthy hearts, hearts that are generous, hearts that are giving, hearts that are fearless, hearts that think about eternal things. And so help us to be faithful in this. I pray for our fathers in the room that, Lord, we would lead out in this, lead our homes, lead our families in this. The Lord trust you in this matter and watch what you do by way of our investment, but by way of what you do in our hearts and in our homes. And so God, help us to be faithful to lead in this area. We love you, Lord, and we just pray for this time that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this morning.
You can be seated this morning. Listen, we're going to take up our tithes and our offerings before we leave today. So I want to encourage you to give those. You can give those today in person and you can drop them in the boxes as you leave today or you can give online, of course. You can drop it by the church office throughout the week. There are multiple ways in which you can give and we're adding a couple things here uh, over time. So looking forward to that, maybe as time goes on, adding some different ways that we can give uh, to our church and ways that you can give uh, faithfully throughout the week. But I want to mention that this morning. Of course, we have a members meeting today at six o'clock. So don't forget that. We have our Q&A for our budget and our fiscal year begins July 1. As you know, that's just in a couple weeks, and that will be today at 6 o'clock right across the street in the Family Center. We'll have a Q&A, but also a couple other matters that we'll be meeting about tonight, and so I want to mention that. Speaking of budget, there is a proposed copy of the budget in the lobby. It was out there last week, but I think it may have not gotten fully out there yet, so I know I had a lot of questions about it, but it was out, but you can certainly get a, pick up a copy this morning, and if you have questions about it, you can come today at 6 p.m., and uh, we'll get those questions answered for you, okay? Um, of course, next Sunday morning, um, we will have um, our uh, kind of a business meeting. At the very end of the service, we'll just have an up or down vote for our, uh, our new fiscal year, the budget, and that will kick in July the 1. But if you want questions asked or answered, tonight's your night, okay? That's at 6 o'clock this evening. Now, this coming Wednesday night, we've got a student night of praise and worship. So if you have students um, that, uh, that are here or that you know about, invite them to come. It's going to be on Wednesday night right across the street. Um, what time is that? 6 o'clock, right? 6 o'clock. Yeah, six o'clock. Six o'clock, it's gonna be a great night. Some creative things planned for that night, so it should be a lot of fun. So that'll be right across the street Wednesday night. Um, hey, don't forget to pray for our kiddos. Our boys and our girls are at kids camp this week. They're there today. They went yesterday. They get back Tuesday night, so pray for them as they are uh, uh, growing and learning and, and uh, having a lot of fun together. Did you have a question? No, 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 that's students. Yeah, teenagers. Yeah, good question. Students, that's student ministry, not a praise. That'll be this Wednesday night. And then don't forget, we have a church-wide event that's coming up on July the 2nd. That's at 6 o'clock, calling it Freedom or Fellowship and Freedom. So we're going to have some uh, singing across the street in the Family Center, but we're also going to have some food and some games some things like that planned. And so it's just going to be a night of fellowship and singing. And so uh, we hope that you'll make plans to join us if you're in town, 4th of July weekend. Kick off the 4th of July week, come to the church that Sunday night, and we'll have a lot of fun together at 6 o'clock, all right? Last thing I want to mention to you is that we have our Bible reading plans for the second half of the year are in the lobby today, and they were in the lobby last week, but your Bible reading plan is going to end at the end of June if you're doing that with us, and we'll have a new one that will start July through December, the second half of the, of the Bible that you can read. It's all planned out for you. We really want to encourage you, if you have not read God's Word through on a regular basis and you're not doing that, start that discipline. And this is a great opportunity to do that. Maybe you started the year well and you kind of fell off. That's okay. Start fresh on July 1, all right? And there's a Bible reading plan for you in the lobby. And let's get ourselves back in God's Word and read it together throughout the rest of this coming year, okay? So I wanted to mention that this morning to you, and we'll mention it again next Sunday morning. With that said, let's have a word of prayer. Let's stand and let's pray for our tithes and offerings. Let's ask God to bless them and to multiply them, okay? God, thank you for the gathering of your people. Thank you for the church. Thank you for, Lord, what you're doing in the life of our church um, over the last uh, several months and year. And God, we thank you for a great 
uh, ministry year, Lord, as we begin to wrap that ministry year up, and we just pray as we start in July for your hand to be with us and continue to work among us, Lord. Lives that are being saved and changed and discipled, Lord, we pray that you would continue to build your church and help us, God, to continue to become the church you want us to become here at Central. Father, we just thank you for um, all that you've given to us, and we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us, Lord, in our tithes and in our offerings. We pray that you would multiply them here locally and globally and collectively, Lord, with other churches and other people, Lord, who are giving. We just continue to pray that your hand would be upon our tithes and our offerings and use them, Lord, to continue to advance your kingdom. Lord, use us this week. Um, Father, find us faithful to point people to Jesus Christ this week, that we would be on mission for you this week at our workplaces, in our homes, on our streets, with our employees, Lord, with our clients, wherever you send us, Lord, find us being a people that are focused on teaching and preaching the good news of your son Jesus to others. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much. 